on last year's Heartland, New Zealander and entrepreneur Deborah Crow met with Danish professor of computer science Fritz Hinglein. In front of a live audience in the festival's Future Talks tent, the two participants discussed the future of blockchain. Future Talks were created to invite scientists and theorists into the public conversation and make us all take an interest in the future. In this case, the technological future, and specifically the future of blockchain. Deborah Crow is an entrepreneur and founder of Isonomy that, amongst other things, developed technology to fight and prevent money laundering and terrorism. She knows a lot about blockchain and has researched this in depth as a way to understand the future of trade and consumerism, and as a way to prepare the technology for the future. Fritz Hinglein is a professor of Copenhagen University, and he studies logic, algorithms, and semantics in programming languages. He has both studied and taught classes on blockchain, and he chairs several committees that deals with the IT development and research. In this conversation, the two explain what blockchain is, what can it already do, and how are we going to use it in the future. The technology is eliminating the middleman in many aspects of society, like we have seen with the cryptocurrency Bitcoin. They explain how blockchain has the potential to revolutionize our society in the same way as the internet already has, and how it forces us to redefine what and how we trust and rely on different sections of society. The conversation is moderated by TV host and tech expert Nikolai Sonne. We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Heartland Podcast. Hi. Hello. Hi. Trust. See, if any of you remember the... American banknotes, they say, in God we trust. We trust government, we trust systems, family, friends. But since 2009, we have had a technology that allows one to operate with confidence in what is basically a Wild West trust-no-one zone called the Internet. This, of course, is the blockchain technology, which is the at the core of what we will cover in this talk. Um, the guy before stole my lines, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we got that covered. Um, but basically, I would like, to, I would like you to, to um, tell the audience who you are and what you do and what got you into this mess. <laughs> Deborah. Oh, hello, everyone, and um, it's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, we've just come over from New Zealand, arrived three days ago. So my background was I initially did an engineering degree and I worked then in telecom in New Zealand. This was in um, 1990, in that era of, of the digitization of communications. And a few years after that I went on my OE, which all New Zealanders have to do. And towards the end of that period, I found myself in southern Colorado on an 11-day nature retreat. And I spent seven days on a solo, just myself and the trees and the animals. And it was life-changing on many levels. But out of that, I came away really committed to business as a vehicle for good in the world. And as a result, I've been a technology entrepreneur ever since. 
Um, my first main business was in mobile marketing, text messaging, you might remember back in the days of wallpapers, premium SMS, before smartphones. So that was really where I cut my teeth on business. Uh, we managed to sell that business in 2014. And then in the last couple of years, I found myself involved in anti-money laundering compliance. Um, you might wonder how one goes from mobile marketing to anti-money laundering compliance, but for me, I'm very much subject matter agnostic, and I'm very much interested in the application of technology. So that last couple of years has taken me on the journey of machine learning, AI, and blockchain, and that's really what brings me here today. And we're glad to have you. Thank, Thank you. you for joining Thank us. Thank you. Yeah. Give yeah. And Fritz, even though you speak Danish, you've promised to... Uh, Decay a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but <laughs> so, so, so who are you and what, what is it that you do? And what brought you here? Well, I, uh, my name is Fritz Englund. I'm a professor of computer science at the Department of Computer Science. So uh, uh, when my wife, who is actually an artist, actually saw that uh, I was in a poster here for a hip culture festival, she said, well, is that a joke? Uh, so, <laughs> but that's what I do. Um, and... Um, my field is programming languages and systems, so a very mathematical field, but a lot of applications in different areas. I'm also actually, in that sense, uh, working as this steering committee chairman of the Innovation Network for FinTech in Denmark, and um, also serving part-time uh, as, as a startup uh, head of research in the blockchain domain. So a very fascinating part of, of blockchain and distributed ledger technology is that uh, it, it promises actually do something that actually sounds, if you hear about it, first time impossible but it's actually a very fascinating domain because it promises to, to do, give us basic democracy in a, in, a, in a commercial domain without actually having to trust everybody in this kind of network of, of people and agents and some of them not even known uh, who need to collaborate and still we can trust into a digital platform that uh, will give us, just like physics, basic laws that, that you know, we know cannot be broken. And thanks for coming. Thank you. Please give him a hand. Just a bit of housekeeping to the sound people. It's very difficult to hear on the stage. I hope, uh, uh, can you hear us fine? Okay. Okay, good. If, if I ask questions that seem silly, it's because I, uh, I think it's sort of a ringing in here. Anyway, might, might just be in my head. No, anyway, so now it's your turn, right? We get to know you. So there should be a microphone that we pass around and we'll really get cozy. <laughs> no, <clears throat> one thing I'm curious about, and of course, for a lot of reasons, talking about what you have in your possession can be perilous. So I'll phrase the question um, like this. If you know of someone that could be you or your neighbor or a close friend or girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, but if you know of someone who currently holds cryptocurrency in their position, please raise your hand. Most of you. <laughs> it's just a fad. It will pass. Don't worry about it. And, and um, who's been in it for more than two years? Or know of someone? No, this is not you. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. What do you guys think about that? Well, it, to me, from here, it looked like there was a rather large percentage of newcomers into this space. So you mean personal ownership or? Oh. Well, I have no, I have no zero cryptocurrency. 
No, no, I, I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't going to ask you or, yeah. or who you know. No, what, what do you think about the? Um, well, to rephrase it, there has been a gold rush, right? Um, and, yeah. And and and, and no, but what what do you how? how well, what is your answer. take on that seemingly so many people are relative newcomers into this space among the audience? Yeah. I, I think it speaks to the, um, you know, how we're really in early days of what the blockchain is about, even though we've had Bitcoin now since 2008. These last, you know, the first few years were very much um, the domain of, of the developers and the very early adopters, and in many cases, not always. Um, the most honest of, of characters. Um, but what we've had in the last couple of years is a lot more mainstream media putting its attention into cryptocurrencies, and by virtue of that, people have, have now become more informed and want a piece of the action, right? Um, so I think that's really what was reflected here. We probably had two-thirds of the audience put up their hands in terms of knowing or having their own crypto. But two years ago, I think I saw about five hands. So. Well, maybe let me be the, the, the bad cop here then. Um, so uh, uh, we're definitely observing actually very fascinating development, but much of it focused, unfortunately, on, uh, on cryptocurrencies that are very volatile. Uh, and I hope we'll talk, to, talk about uh, actually uh, the, the fantastic uh, perspectives uh, that go way past uh, cryptocurrencies in a while. So right now, I think it would be quite fair to say that we're in sort of a gold rush, and my recommendation would be uh, to be the one who sells the shovels. Who what? And, 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 and talking about volatility, uh, could we have picture number 11 on the screen? Yeah. So, not because we have to talk about myself, but this is me getting a haircut uh, that at the time was half a, just over half a Bitcoin, which would be uh, quite an expensive haircut today. No, but... 25,000 kroner. Yeah. <laughs> But we also we also gave away a Bitcoin on television. But but it, the thing is that this this um, fluctuation makes it, it sort of hard to use as a currency because I would never pay someone to cut my hair today because I know that I or I think a lot of people think that that money will buy them a house in five years or whatever. What's what's your take on that? Oh, I I know people who are um, literally buying coins in the hope that it's going to pay for their house. Um, personally, I think you need to distinguish between speculation and actually something that has value uh, in order to achieve something. So if you're buying cryptocurrency purely from a speculation point of view, you need to think of it akin to investing in the stock exchange or buying property or, or anything else that you might do for speculation. So perhaps a, you know, a small amount of your retirement fund may go into crypto speculation. But fortunately what we're moving into now is a lot more application of the use of blockchain for, let's say, more day-to-day um, -day value transfer type activities. And I know we'll talk to that a little more. We, we will definitely get to that. Yeah. Because that is the meat of things, right? Yeah. But Fritz, I don't know if you could... Um, I, I touched upon, upon it briefly about this um, magic uh, potion or alien technology or whatever. I, I do have a picture. Um, number two. Thank you. Yes. And, and so this is sort of the origin story of... Yes. of yes. Can, can you talk us through what this 
paper says? What is the basic idea? So, well, the basic idea, I think, um, would be fair to say, if you read the beginning, is actually purely peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash, online payments will be sent directly to one party without going through a financial institution, but actually it's even stronger without going through any institution, without having to identify yourself, identify anybody, and to do it in a, well, in political theory, you would say in an anarchistic uh, setting, which means like without depending on any authority. Uh, so how do you accomplish that one? This is a really tall order from a technical point of view, and it's the first sort of alive, and, and as many of you can actually ascertain, is actually it's a living uh, actually system. Uh, so, so what it does is it, uh, uh, briefly, it makes it possible to, instead of, you could say, not trust anyone, what you actually have to do is trust everyone, or the collection of all the people out there, and you don't even know them. So how do you do that? You make sure that the people out there actually have replicated all the information. So it's just like, imagine you do your bookkeeping, um, and instead of just keeping it in your private drawers, you show it to everybody, and they take all of them copies. So all the bookkeeping for all the people and of all the transfers, they're completely publicly available. So it's difficult for somebody to just walk off and change a line in it, because there's going to be thousands and millions of people who will say, wait a minute, that's not on my copy. And the second part is, and that's the very hard problem, is how do you make sure you make uh, an update to it? You know, because who's got the right to add a new line in your bookkeeping book as it's 100,000 copies of it? And there's no master copy, remember? You know, the idea is not like, you know, you go to, you know, Ting Lusning and say, oh, this is the master copy. There's only copies. So what you do is actually you have a very complicated uh, and very, very heavy protocol for actually where people can elect themselves that's one way of thinking of it. It's like, I'm the one who's got the right to do that. And the way you do it is you actually participate in a lottery that, where you demonstrate you spend an enormous amount of, of energy and, in order to get the winning ticket. And then you show it to the other people and say, I got the winning ticket. And that's the reason I am allowed to actually add the new transactions to that public ledger and everybody copies it then. You could say, what if people don't copy it because they want to cheat? Well, the whole idea is that sufficiently many people copy it and so that the majority of those people who participate in this game that's called mining actually uh, you know end up in a state that most of us then trust so so what, what you're describing is the basic technology that allows all of us to have a common database that everyone can write to everyone can read everything in the database but no one can alter after the fact yes and that is very, uh, it, it takes a lot of energy, but we'll get back to that. But uh, I'd like to, 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 for a moment, if we can... Let me just mention, sure. that is the classical, you just point two, this is the classical Bitcoin design. I'm saying classical because, as Deborah mentioned before, is this is the web 1.0 version of distributed ledgers or of blockchain. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of other designs, just like nobody here is using web 1.0 anymore in your browser. When you use your browser, you use a lot of stuff and a lot of functionality that's very different from the first browsers used. So, so there's a lot more uh, applications mm -hmm. and systems and other ways of doing this one that are very, very interesting in this space, and I hope we'll and, touch and upon And we will here. absolutely, um, because what, what I was hoping to, to hear from you now is if you don't look at the state of things today, but sort of uh, you know, put your eyes on infinity and imagine a utopia where this technology eventually might take us. 
um, what could that be like? The happy world. Where yeah, <laughs> happy world. In my world, it's no, but a happy what do, what do you think that this technology in its core, what is it offering us as humans? Yeah, well, from my perspective, what, what um, the essence of blockchain and recognizing that we're in the early stages of it, but it's, it's enabling what I call belief in a promise at a technological level, okay, which we haven't, we haven't been able to do that before. And um, in my, when I was considering this, I found this beautiful Irish proverb, and it says, when mistrust comes in, love goes out. And you might wonder what that has to do with blockchain, but I really do believe that this technology has the ability to reverse that trend. And when you think about where we're at at the moment, um, in terms of our Facebooks, our Cambridge Analytica, Amazon, all the big corporations, when you think about governments and, and what's happening you know, all over the world, some of our governments, I mean, here we are, New Zealand and Denmark, ironically, probably the most trusted nations on earth at the moment and one of the happiest communities that we've got, but that's not the reality for many, many people, right? You know, a lot of governments are corrupt, um, but the, the blockchain and the, and the ability to now have immutable records in a public domain, it makes it so much harder to hide, all right? So I really do believe that, this, that blockchain is going to enable us to, um, to just reduce those areas that we have in our lives where, the, where there is mistrust and, and therefore, in my world, increases the happiness, increases the love, right? <laughs> That's the utopia, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it almost sounds like you're selling something. <laughs> we'll get to that. Well, why not? <laughs> I'm selling happiness. What could go wrong? So, so Fritz, what about you? Um, what, 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 what is your... It's hard talking to a mathematician and talking about hopes and Jesus. dreams. And <laughs> <laughs> no, that is not. Uh, well, wait, 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 wait. We're this is a hip, hip culture festival, so right. So yeah, it's okay you're all good. Hopes, you're right? all good. So, um, actually, I think this is actually. If you think about it, just think about it. This is this is actually the promise is, and this is actually the challenge also is of realizing the following three things. Imagine you're doing this one. The first thing is like you have a completely decentralized system, sounds terrible, right? But think of it as like, you know, it's a collection like you, and you have no leader, okay? At the same time, you are entrusted, and, and some of you may be a little bit, you know, fishy people, but okay, we don't even know. But you might be entrusted with actually keeping a record of events, and such that whenever you say, that, oh, that happened in the past, we can guarantee, you can guarantee, that you will give the same answer in the future. That's the tamper-proofing part. And here comes the killer app, you might say, of distributed ledgers or blockchain technology, is you can be entrusted to keep digital assets. And that you, most people think of cryptocurrencies, but I think there's a lot more to be said. Namely, you can be entrusted to keep store of who owns what? Who owns this amount of money? Who owns this truck? Who owns this musical piece? Who, know, who owns the performance that is being going on right now? Who owns the license to play this Let It Be version right now? And the key thing is that the one who originally owned the money or the, the, the license does not need to know where it is right now. You can freely transfer it to each other and be guaranteed 
we know, everybody knows, it's not going to be duplicated. So think about this, the same thing as having the equivalent of digital originals. Without actually you having a leader, without actually we having to trust each other completely, but we can trust our collection of people, all of us together, to actually maintain these things in a digital setting. What does it mean in practice then? You know, we're doing a little bit projects on you know, uh, sustainability, for example, if you, there is actually legislation for, you know, timber, when you buy a chair at, uh, at uh, Yusk, whatever, um, you know, you, they have to actually demonstrate, document that actually it doesn't have any hardwood from, you know, some kind of illegally forested forests in Indonesia or whatever. So how do you do that? You can actually put this into a distributed platform like this. Where does the stuff come from? Where does it go to? And in the end, make sure that actually you can trace it back. And the key thing is nowadays that's done by very expensive processes. So you get consultants out, they look into a company and they write reports and they charge, what is it, typically 250 bucks an hour. So, uh, uh, so the small producers of, of, of timber forests, of sustainably managed ones, they have a very hard time now living up to this one because the European Union, US, Japan, now even China soon, they will actually have this kind of legislation making sure that the things we're using are sustainable. That's the same thing with diamonds, with food items, with pharmacological projects, uh, products, and so on. And if you ask me, I think that's a very exciting aspect, way beyond owning or not owning cryptocurrency. We'll, we'll, we'll return to that point. Um, but if I could have picture number six. And this is what an actual Bitcoin mine looks like. Um, and and the, the astute uh, in the audience will recognize this guy. This guy in 2013, this is a, this is mining hardware. This one does 3,000 billion operations per second. It uses a lot of power. It was $10,000. Um, now it's worthless. And, and what you see, there are shelves and shelves, and the empty shelves are not because they're not full yet. It's because they're taking the old ones down and exchanging these devices that were $10,000 with new devices, right? So this is obviously a, a, a very big industry. This was in, um, in northern Sweden where they get the power for almost for free, right? Um, I'm curious as to why is that mechanism so? Why do you have to, like they live in the north where it's cold, to save energy, right? But they're, they're, you know, in Danish, there's a few of a cosbone. They are burning power like mad. Why is that needed? Or is it needed? No, it's not. How so? Well, this is one way of, 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 of doing this one. There's other ways of doing this one. They would actually show a little power station in the far corner, right? Um, the key thing is that one has to understand Bitcoin is special in the sense that it tries to be a purely, um, purely, in the, totally independent of any kind of authority. That means that you, you don't know anybody, uh, anything about anybody participating in it. So it's sometimes called uh, non-permissioned, which means like nobody's authenticated. You know, nobody's, you know, nobody's issuing a passport saying like, you're allowed to be part of this network. If, and there's systems where you do that. You're allowing these things to be a part of these mm -hmm. things and, and that, then will work six orders of magnitude more efficient. I mean, just to give you an idea, it's like what, uh, um, what this does, it means right now at the current price, I would say roughly speaking, a single transaction Bitcoin, transferring you know, any amount of Bitcoin from one person to the other, a single one, costs on the uh, approximately 500 kilowatt hours 
500 kilowatt hours. So if you take four of those, that should correspond to what you use in a whole year, in a whole family, in electricity. Um, and you might say, why they do that? It's because to make sure that it's very hard to forge transactions. Since there's nobody who says that's the original transaction, that's the true one, and these are, all the, these are forged or false ones, or somebody's trying to do something, you know, like spend the same amount of money twice. You know, every forged transaction is made very, very hard and very, very expensive. But that means, since the forged one doesn't look any different from the true one, the true ones also are very expensive. So, so, we, so, can I just add yeah, to that? So, it's interesting. I look at this and it reminds me of a um, telecom exchange back in the 1990s. Floors and floors and floors of equipment, and, and now, you know, it's literally the same amount of power is done in a, probably an iPhone, actually. But um, it's also just indicative of the evolution that this technology is going through, right? So, what um, Fritz was just talking about was that whole key thing about the security and things not being able to be forged. Um, what was the word you used? Forged. Fraud, fraud basically. You want, you want the surety that, that that blockchain is immutable. So what's happening now is things are evolving. They call it a consensus algorithm. And the nature of that is, is evolving and moving on. And so there are new consensus algorithms now available, which mean we don't need these types of mining, right? So they now have um, new terms, which is escaping right at this point in time. But the, the essence for you guys to know is that this is old and it's on its way out. It will take a while, but that as it's moving forward... You're, you're making a lot of people very, very worried here. The, the mining that, thing, that is, those, those is, things, right? <laughs> that, you know, this whole... Um, because it's having a huge impact on the environment, right? I mean, it's the whole CO2 thing, climate change, this is, this is not equivalent with where we want to be heading from a climate change point of view. And so the key takeaway, though, is that, that this is moving on. This is not indicative of blockchain in terms of where it's moving to. So that's really the key thing I want you to take away. So, so trying uh, moving into the, 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 the current state of affairs, because one can say that... that Bitcoin blockchain was the first, and it's obviously still hugely popular. And there's, a, even though it's it's a lot of its original intended uses. Hey, I'll just buy you something. Makes absolutely no sense. It's super slow. It's super energy hungry. It's it's yeah. it's you know it's in many ways broken. Um, but then, if we can have slide number ten. Because sort of the the next big big one to follow on on um, on, on Bitcoin blockchain was Ethereum, mm -hmm. uh, made by this guy Vitalik, or he's like the main main, and and as they describe it themselves, and a blockchain app platform. So where we used to have a, a a database with only very limited amounts of data actually going in, this is a completely different game, right? Can can you talk us through? Um, how that machine works, what's the basic concept of it? So Ethereum is, is not unlike Bitcoin, but Bitcoin you can think of as like, this is the record keeping and you can only add one, I mean you, like you Nikolai, or you Deborah, I, or I'm sitting at the terminal, I'm trying to add one transaction. But now you can, in Ethereum, what you can do is, uh, it's also a network of computers and you know, just like the internet, if you think about it, anybody can join really um, and participate in this one. But what you can do is you can install programs, okay? 
So you can have a whole program do that, what the adding and the paying and the transferring fully automatically, okay? So this is what's sometimes called, it just really programs, but it's not as sexy as calling it smart contract. Um, as you can hear, you get more startup funding by using that term. But um, so what, what the key difference is that, as we've mentioned before, it's a computer, it's a world computer sometimes called, it's very distributed and so on, but it can not only store data, just like, you know, your information where you're living or not living or, you know, I don't know, some product information, but also it stores money, okay? So, and it has the guarantee, it's called Ether, that's the native currency in Ethereum, so it stores money. And now you can have programs installed that automatically make pay payments in Ether, and Ether is really, I don't know what the, presently $90 Ether or something like this, I don't know, I mean, so it's real money, okay? Now you have a program running on that one that can automatically, and you can't stop it, this is the other thing, it's like, Excellent. Think about it. You have a program running and you can't stop it. So just imagine you have a PC at home, program gets started, and you could say, like, yeah, let's pull the plug. Yeah. Or like, you know, you can't do that. But that money might actually transfer money out of your bank account slide every day. Please. And that happens actually. Yes. Can we have 27? Because this slide number 27, please. Thank you. Uh, so this is, I accidentally killed a guy. Uh, a guy who describes him because you have this basically this machine holding the power of currency and he goes and like all software like a lot of software is unperfect and imperfectness in this space is potentially very expensive this is 300 million yeah. in cryptocurrency someone not, just like oops <laughs> it's not the first one it won't be the last one so yeah but 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 in, in terms of um, what this technology has enabled and, and what are we seeing in actual day-to-day um, uh, appliances of it. How, how, how is it used? So, um, there's a new application being developed in New Zealand that's my favourite at the moment called Choice. And it's changing the nature of how we do payments. So you can now actually use the Choice token to pay for your coffee or, you know, it's, it's designed for small scale transactions. And the, uh, it's an alternative to the existing credit card system. And the value to the vendor is that the transaction fees are less than what they'd be paying the traditional financial system. And not only that, they then actually return a part of that transaction fee to you as the consumer. And, but you don't get to put it in your pocket, but you get a choice as to what charity you would like to donate that to. And that's actually all, the prototype of that is live already. And I think that's just a wonderful example of where this is, is going. And not only is it enabling you to donate to a charity, which could be as simple as a, as a local community charity, or it could be a nature fund, or it might be an extension to the local hospital. I mean, you know, the, the thoughts there are endless. But they're also putting in a, a means to then measure the impact of those donations. Um, so they're actually creating a, a, let's call it a society impact measurement tool as well. So that's an, an example to me how things are really changing in ways that we just wouldn't have thought of five years ago. And, and that to me really begins to challenge the government system and the power system because it begins to introduce an ability to, um, for communities to actually have a say in what's really going on. 
And um, I mean, it's a bit of a leap, but I could see how something like that begins to really eat into the need for a tax system even. Right. Right. As you said, you can, you can uh, I mean, some of the cryptocurrencies that probably have maybe you've known, actually they live as, as contracts, smart contracts on this platform, Ethereum platform. So this is a way of basically also programming money. So in practical terms, the things that you can think of now is possible is like having the equivalent of cash, just like you would have on you, but you can program it. What does it mean? So you could do things like, um, for example, when you're here at the festival, uh, saying like, you know, that kind of money I have on me can only be spent the next couple of days here, and only at a rate of, which might be good for teenagers, uh, 200 kroner an hour, right? <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I don't know, just coming up with these things, I don't know. Somebody else might have kids too, so. Um, so, but that's one thing, you know, if you don't like this one, you don't have to go to develop, you know, to a bank or whatever, you could have a local policy, you yourself, your own program money, or maybe actually uh, the Heartland Festival actually helps you actually do this, you know, subscribe to this one. There's a lot of different app, app possibilities of having programmed transactions like these that manipulate money. And as I mentioned before, it doesn't have to be money, it could also be ownership of a license, you know, so you make sure that, you know, when you transfer your license to a music piece, you don't have to inform Apple Records of it, but they can be assured that it's not going to be forged or duplicated. Where, where, where I actually just thought of this might be the way to get the public or the politicians to buy in on this idea is if you paid out welfare in crypto because like no you cannot use your money for beer or stuff we don't like you can only use use your like it's program money for just you know the good things right not not the bad food but only the no but you could you could really assert control of you know I mean that's not yeah. necessarily well, a good yes, thing yes yes I've already so, heard conversation yeah. around doing that around the um, benefit right you, you, you can only use your benefit for food for the kids and not the cigarettes and the beer. Yeah, but what, hap what happens to personal freedom? Is like yeah, it, it, that's getting into interesting territory, yeah. which I think is an interesting thing too, right? There's a whole lot of ethics to be considered around the application of any technology. And it's up to us as, as you know, the people to, to do the thinking around the ethics and, and what, you know, technology is, is agnostic when it comes to good or bad. You know, it's, it's the humans who decide how it's actually used. So, you know, having these talks and, and beginning to open up people's thinking and minds as to the possibilities, I think, is really important. And it's important that you give thought to, hmm, okay, well, how might I like to see this used? And equally, how do I not want to see it used? Mm -hmm. And, and um, I know you, you brought a video from, from a company that you're working with. Yeah, if, if, if we could maybe cue the, um, the Trustabit use case video. The Trustabit use case? So this is a, um, this is, if any of you fly and have ever had your flights delayed and, and perhaps were promised a voucher but you never quite worked out how to use it, then this might solve that for you. This is Mike. Mike is a frequent flyer whose flight was just canceled for mechanical reasons. For his trouble, the airline is giving him a $300 voucher. Here's the problem. Mike has to call the airline to even get the voucher. He waits on hold. He waits for the voucher to arrive. He waits and waits and waits. And now he's even more frustrated than before. Now meet Kara. Kara is flying with an airline that uses trust a bit. 
When her flight is canceled, she receives an immediate notification saying that an e-voucher has been sent to an online account for use at any time. No wait, no hold, no problem. Airlines spend tons of money each year paying out vouchers, only to leave customers more frustrated with the process of claiming them. Trustabit uses blockchain technology to make things right with customers quickly, easily, and securely. That means the money your airline spends on vouchers is truly making your customers happier and loyal. All right, so I'm not, I'm not in the... Um, uh, no, what, I, what I'm curious about in, in this um, is, like, what airline would ever do that? Because obviously airlines speculate in you not getting your voucher. Uh, well, they That's do. That's one thing. <laughs> this is not investment advice, I'm just... The, um, I don't know what the number is, but there's been a bit of legislation just passed in the EU around any flights, I think, that are delayed by more than, what is it, two hours? Three hours. They now have to issue a voucher. Yeah, okay. but, but they, they um, want to make it difficult. That, yes and no, because what, what they're finding is that, well, first of all, they currently use intermediaries who charge 25 to 30% just simply for the issuing of the voucher, regardless of whether that voucher is already used. So that's a fixed cost to those airlines already. So if they are able to actually even spend only that 25 to 30% and people actually do get the vouchers and then are happy customers and are loyal customers, then, you know, it's a win-win. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm curious as to the mechanics of this because my, my, my airline, they have my, you know, details today. Yeah. Why do they need blockchain technology to do this? Uh, I don't know if it's so much need, but I do think it now enables, it, it does make it easier and it reduces the administration aspects of it because at the moment, all those processes in any big organisation such as airlines are very process heavy and very people heavy, right? So it's, and, and it's, a lot of it's tedious work. So this, by using the blockchain, it's like, okay, voucher's been issued, there's a smart contract being written in there, the rules already exist, the airline systems are already going to be able to notify if that flight's been delayed, and then that just sets off a trigger of, of rules which then plops that into your um, wallet, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, so I think what we're finding is this one in particular is going to use a platform called Hyperledger Fabric, which is a... Um, it's an open source blockchain. It's um, been used a lot now by enterprises. It is a private blockchain, and it does avoid some of the issues that, that can exist with Ethereum around some of the, um, what is it, the, not the scalability, but the speed of it at times. Um, because with, with Ethereum, you can have things like, what was that, that kitty game, and, and all Crypto sorts kitties, of applications yes. on it that, uh, that can slow it down. Slide 29, please. Um, slide, slide 29. There, yes. there, you there go. they are, the yeah. crypto kitties. The crypto at kitties. $117,000. Thank you yeah. very much. Yeah. But things like this can really grind a network to a halt, so that's not so good if you're wanting to run a commercial application, right? So that's just segues into that there are other platforms now emerging that. Um, I guess are more industry specific. So for enterprises, there are things like Hyperledger Fabric and, and some of the, the, you might have heard of the banking consortium, I think it's R3. They've been developing some of their own 
uh, internal systems. Now, you, you begin to sort of slip down that slippery slope, though, back to now you've um, got people who just simply want control and, and it's much more um, permissioned. And, and so you begin to lose some of the, uh, let's say, the trust factors that, that live up this end of the spectrum. So it's definitely a, a scale and there's a trade-off. But there's certain applications where I think having a closed environment is totally okay. Uh, slide 15, please. And, and this slide is uh, sort of a, a reaction to the, okay, so there's a problem in the world and there's this new technology, we just sprinkle that on and it's, yeah. it's fixed, Magic right? Dust. But, but where we sort of need or end up here is you might need a public blockchain or a private blockchain. Can you, can you talk us, what, what are the, the mechanics of, and the differences in, in their, their uh, abilities and, and what they do? So, um, I think I should start by saying, because we've talked about Bitcoin beginning and alluded to the, you mentioned a couple of other systems, so you've got to think of those as actually being, uh, they have the same kind of basic properties, like when you drive a vehicle, right, uh, you know, it, uh, you know just, it's got pedal and, you know, you drive it and steer it and brake and it looks actually, it's quite usable like that, but if you think about it, you know, electric car looks very different once you open the hood from actually a large truck with a diesel engine in it, okay? Now, the key thing to remember is any one of those two is very complicated. So they're actually very challenging to build, and they're very different, okay? But once you sit inside, they look very similar, and that's the whole point. Coming back to this one. So needing, it's just like, you know, when do you need a vehicle, right? You know, or to, you know, a car, um, you know, to pick up a beer in a, in a refrigerator, you can probably drive there by car, but that's probably not a good idea. So some of those, those applications we've seen they have this kind of atmosphere a little bit of, of like, why using a car, why using a blockchain system for solving this problem? So what this shows actually is that um, maybe just use a, a regular provider. You have a trusted provider of a database system or, you know, you trust your IT provider. You trust, for example, a lot of Danes, especially trust Facebook with anything about their private lives. So, you know, I mean, this is, you know, I make an explicit decision. Let's give all our information of trust, uh, of, of trust um, in that sense to Facebook. And if that's the solution uh, people want, uh, that's a wonderful solution. It's a centralized system, essentially, right? It's got data centers, but it's basically a system that corresponds to this one, a, a traditional database system, okay? So, but very often you have a situation that uh, you, you don't want to have a privileged party, right? You know, like the airline, like there's one airline that has the, uh, the, the, the tickets. But then, what about the second airline? Should they trust the first airline system to do that one because they're running on that one? They get all the information, the first airline. They get, just like Facebook, they get a lot of information others don't get. Or should they both hire, actually, then a provider like, I don't know, don't want to mention too many names, like it could be something like uh, with an I and a B and an M and, and starting with an M and being not mega, right? So uh, um, should we trust a, another party and they then or Google, now I've said it. And um, should we trust them then to get all the information, okay? So should the airlines say like, all our information Google has, and they not only have our information, but everybody else's information too. So if you're in a situation we have such a trusted party, well, use them, okay? It's much simpler to build such a system, so it's very, it's like building a bicycle. It's easier than building a, a complicated car. Um, but if you're in a situation where you don't want to make sure, you want to make sure that nobody else has more information than you and better access than you, maybe all the airlines 
will say, it's okay, but I don't want to make any, I want to have IBM involved, but I want to make sure that nobody here has more information access than me. But we will collaborate in this one. That's the first part. This is what blockchain makes possible, working together on equal terms. It could be a club, you know, it's like, you know, this is this, just like you have a, an association, you don't let everybody in, but it could be completely open, like the internet, uh, you know, anybody in the public can participate. There's differences in how you do these things, but that's the very first part up there that's very important. Uh, so if you want to have a situation where you basically want equal terms for equal, equality amongst the participants. And then the second parts, you know, come after this one. So if immutability, you know, not tampering is important. And if you want to make sure that, and if you want to make sure you need to store value in it, assets in it, okay, money, rights, and all these things, then you need a blockchain. If you have only two out of those three, use a different system. Uh, I, I know they're going to be easier to build than a full blockchain system. There's, there's one thing that I have been trying, because I, 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 I do look at that in this space, um, but I'm by no means uh, fully aware of everything that's going on. But there's one thing I cannot wrap my head around, which is um, there are people making promises of this technology being able to, for instance, okay, so we have this product to make sure that when this product reaches the consumer, it's not a fake, it's not a copy. Like, how do you go from a potato in the field to the computer? How do you, what, what are they talking about? Well, so, Holy, yeah, Holy uh, sorry, you, you, you just break in, I mean, you, you know a lot of these things, you work on these things, so, uh, so, but that's a very good point. So what's missing in connecting the digital work, you know, so right, world, right, right now we only have like, Blockchain systems, they guarantee certain things. Like, for example, they guarantee that if you have some money that's owned by A, and uh, then it cannot be duplicated. Let me say like this. So, but it could still be wrong what you're registering. So you're registering, oh, money has been transferred from A to B, but in reality, you wanted to transfer it to C, you know? So how do you make sure that, or actually, you know, you're delivering something. I'm delivering a bicycle, right? And then somebody's registering, oh, this bicycle has been delivered. How do you know it really happened? Okay, so you need actually an evidence framework, you know, would be the noble, which means like a connecting way of just like you do in when you do, you know, when a policeman, you know, it's like you need evidence. Mm -hmm. So when you re register something on the blockchain, you need evidence. I mean, you showed me this picture before. It's like here's the evidence. This is my boat. It's a picture. It could be the DNA of. You mentioned this before of of trees as they get delivered. You know, that's the same tree that arrives when uh, you know it arrives in Rotterdam. But it needs to have some kind of evidence that says this event that's registered is actually the one that, that happened in reality. This resource, this boat is act, that's registered digitally is actually a physical boat that exists in the real world. So that's the connecting tissue. But then putting it all together, you can do in the digital world. We do have, uh, can you play, um, oh my, video number three please? And this is a, uh, a concrete example of, this is me, I've recorded a video and I, I want to prove that it exists, the video. So I go to this site. You could do this back in the early days when, when Bitcoin wasn't so expensive. Um, so I have a video and instead of writing a physical contract where I, you know, we, I hereby declare 
we, we do a mathematical operation to it and upload it into the, into the blockchain. And you could still do this, but again, as we touched upon, it's hugely ineffective. It's like, uh, but it's still cheaper than, than, than paying the public to when you mortgage your house. This is still cheaper, I'm just saying. Um, we do have some time left. Is, is there anyone in the audience who, um, who, who wants to ask a question? Please raise your hand. Yes. Ah. <coughs> so you briefly covered the subject of the mining, but I was just wondering, uh, because I believe there is a limit of the maximum supply of uh, circulating, let's say, Bitcoin, for instance. And when all Bitcoins has been mined, uh, what would the role of miners be? And what will happen to transactions on the, uh, on the network? of the Bitcoin blockchain or any other token or currency. This, I, I don't do financial uh, advice here, so this... <laughs> no, this is the, nobody, well, I couldn't hear the question. Well, this is, so what happens when all Bitcoins have been mined? Okay, the then, then, then what, all, what would their contribution to the network be then? So the reason why it's called Bitcoin is because the author or authors of this paper want to make sure that you believe there's a finite amount of them out there. And, and basically, it gives, gives you a mathematical proof that there is a certain amount of, amount of Bitcoins. So, and uh, and they, uh, there is this process we mentioned before, very expensive process. We saw the things of mining, which means like of finding them. Um, and that, why would you do that? It's because you get them this way. But in the end, actually, right now, um, so this is to make trust, to give you the trust that People cannot, in the future, at some point, just, you know, give you inflation, right? It was like, you know, I don't know, somebody came up with another 50 million Bitcoin, right? That would devalue your trust now in Bitcoin. So, in the future, actually, when you want to do transactions, you'll have to pay more transaction fees. Okay, so that's it. Because the income somebody gets is from both mining and transaction fees. And transaction fees are done by, by bidding, you know, I'm... Hey, Nikolai, you want to transact this for me and I'll pay this amount of Bitcoin for doing this one. And if, if, if he thinks that's too little, he won't do it. Um, we're approaching our closing remarks. I would like you to, uh, um, Fritz and Deborah, if you could briefly, but uh, on, a, on a high level, um, how, has, how will this technology make the world better? Who wants to start? Well, I, I mean, I think it's already done great service in that it's opening up conversations around trust, right? So, I mean, in all my years in, in business, I haven't known us to have such open conversations around what trust and transparency means. And to see that happening now in the finance sector, um, in the, um, you know, particularly when I was in the areas of, of anti-money laundering compliance, you know, that in itself is a huge leap forward. And I think we're going to just now see more and more applications of this technology in the similar way that internet has evolved. Um, you won't even know that blockchain is sitting underneath a lot of the things that you begin to do, right? Uh, whether it's just the fact that now you no longer get a fraudulent ticket to your favorite um, performer, right? Which is, a, which is a big issue. So those, those things where efficiency and effectiveness, um, removing friction from our lives. I think those are the things that we're going to begin to notice in the near future. 
and then you know I've got great hopes for what it might do going forward as far as um, you know reducing border issues, making immigration easier, improving financial inclusion. The list goes on. Fritz, it, exactly. So. Uh, Keeping short is difficult for a professor, as you know, but uh, um, we will be kicked out. Uh-oh. Um, so, actually, I think this is a grand vision here that actually Deborah already actually, you know, talked about. So, the idea of making it possible for people to interact with each other in full trust without having to pay expensive intermediaries, you know, for trading energy, buying not only from your neighbor, but people you actually don't know next time over, and also selling them those things, making sure that you get paid correctly for that, not too much, not too little, for including actually the unbanked nowadays. It's very expensive to bank them right now, but making sure that they have a safe place to store their possessions, I mean, their money, for example, um, for you know, you know, having mobility services, that's a very concrete thing, so that small parties can participate, not only, uh, you know, a, a DSP and, you know, SAS, but also a, a, a bicycle or a scooter shop who wants to provide rentals and such that that can be combined by others to combine it with services like, you know, a train ride and a plane ride and then a scooter ride in there. And you don't even have to ask permission of DSP or SAS or some kind of uh, authority in order to participate in this open market still a safe market in the sense where you, you can be sure your values can be stored and treated and you'll get, you know, uh, and you can offer and participate in these things, yeah, so. On that note, Fritz, Deborah, thank you very much for joining us. Thank Give you. him a hand. Thank you. Thank you. You have listened to a Heartland podcast. If you like what you just heard, please write us a review on iTunes or even better, tell your friends that you heard this. We would really appreciate it. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.